0: If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Acts? Hey, my name is Chad. I'm so glad that you made the choice to be with us tonight. I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors here at Paradigm. And man, I'm so excited about continuing this series. You heard Devontae give a shout out to kind of where we've been. And the, the question we're asking tonight, I believe, has the potential uh, to affect your life in a great way tonight. And that we're going to explore a question uh, that a lot of people are asking in our generation and in our culture, and my hope is that you would leave equipped to be able to be able to answer one of these great questions. But before we get there, the ballots have closed. Hopefully you went and voted today and did your civil duty as an American, right? And hopefully you got to be a part of that. I don't really feel a lot of confidence in the room right now. Some of y'all are like, oh, that was today? Okay. I voted. Oh, the sticker's in my pocket. So anyway, um, hope that you did that. And um, anybody excited about holidays, holiday time? Yeah? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know if you're as excited as I am, uh, but I'm really excited. But sometimes holidays can be a little bit awkward. I don't know if, if you come from a blended family or not. Um, maybe uh, you remember when that began to take place and transpire. If you are, anybody blended family, real quick, just let me see your hands if you're blended. Okay, I see y'all out there, yeah. Wasn't that, I don't know if you remember kind of the awkward, we began to uh, get blended when I was a teenager. And so my mom and dad, they divorced when I was 12. And then uh, my mom married a new man. He had three kids. And so I was a teenager and I'm like, okay, now I have uh, two brothers and a sister and I've got to like go to holidays with new family. And then they want me to call like grandma, who's really not my grandma, grandma. And then in this particular situation, uh, the grandfather that he wanted to be called big daddy. And I was like, man, I'm not gonna call you big daddy. That's just, you know, it's not me, you know, and so it's just kind of awkward. And, and then uh, my mom divorced that guy. So I'm like, so what are we now with my siblings that used to be step siblings? Are we friends? Not really. Okay, I don't ever call you anymore, that kind of thing. She gets remarried. I got a new stepsister trying to figure it all out. And, and it just can be a little bit awkward around holiday time because, you know, you've come together, you got just a few things in common, and you really don't want to bring up political things. You really don't want to bring up, like, you know, deep, dark secrets of your past. And, And it's all about coexisting as a family and trying to come together and agree upon the minimal things that we can agree upon. Everybody keep the peace, get some turkey, get some gravy, open up some gifts, and then go back to your nice, sweet little life. Some of y'all's blood pressure is just getting up right now, just thinking about it, right? Like, oh my goodness, I've got to talk to that. And I start there tonight because that is a lot of our view when it comes to religion as well. You know, we think, man, we, we just we we've got differences, we've got different backgrounds, we came from different families, different parts of the of the world. And when it comes to all these different religions, we just kind of come together and it's coexistence at all costs. And we just can we just all get on the same page, so much so that there's a really popular belief in our culture that really all religions they're they're pretty much the same. You know, in all roads, they, they, uh, they lead up to the same pinnacle of the mountain, and, and most of our generation and most of the people in, in our nation, they believe that all religions are pretty much the same. Uh, so much so, there was a, a research recently done by uh, the Barna Research Group, and they polled over 1,000 people, and here's what they found. These were Bible-believing people. They found that 43% said this, it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because they all teach the same lessons. said all people will experience the same outcome after death regardless of their religious beliefs. Another 40% said all people are eventually saved or accepted by God no matter what they do because he loves all people that he's created. It's universalism is the big word there. 48% said this, if a person is generally good or does enough good things for others, they will earn a place in heaven. Surely God wouldn't, you know, condemn people and a lot of people, they believe basically the Bible, the Koran, the Book of Mormon, whatever sacred literature, they're basically all saying the same thing, just different expressions of the same spiritual truths. That a big popular belief in our culture today, and maybe you've had a spiritual conversation with somebody in the past, or maybe you're here tonight and and you think this, that basically just be a good person and God likes good people. And so, you know, if there is an afterlife or, you know, there is a God, maybe agnostic or whatever, that God surely is going to accept good people. But when you begin to start saying, hey, your way is the only way, you know, it's a little bit too exclusive and you just need to calm down a little bit. So tonight we're asking the question is Jesus really the only way? And we're in this series, Ask Me Anything. And so we want to tease out this question Is Jesus really the only way to salvation? And tonight I want you to see the exclusivity of Christianity. I want you to see the inclusivity of Christianity as well. And before we leave tonight, I want to give you certainty if you claim Christianity. And I want to point to you that Christianity oozes and exudes certainty. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be at tonight, and in the book of Acts, there's a, a lot of things that, is, that are happening, and so Jesus, he's, he's lived his life already through the Gospels, and he's died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, and then he's charged these, these this group of misfits, really, to take the message of Christ and into the known world, and so Peter, he jumps onto the scene, he begins to preach once he has received the Holy Spirit, and once he is, he's, he's chasing Jesus down, he is boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Savior, And so in Acts chapter 3, he stumbles upon a guy who was at this place called the temple, and he was there to give alms, and Peter prayed that God would heal him, and God gave him legs. That's the play on words. Anyway, it's so, pastor joke. Sorry. He went to give alms, but he got legs. Peter prayed and healed him. Yeah, some of y'all just got it there. Okay. Um, and so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, and what's happened is that Peter and his boy John both were followers of Jesus. They're being questioned by uh, some very powerful men in the culture in that day, and they're like, hey, hey, how did you heal this dude? And so Peter just says, look, man, I'm going to tell you, I healed him in the name of Jesus. He says, in fact, I'm going to take it one step further. I healed him in the name of Jesus in which you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. That's who I prayed to, and that brother is walking now. And so I just got to tell you, that's who I healed him in that name. And we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. And he goes on, he says, And this is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, I love it, and he says which has become the chief cornerstone that Jesus is the foundation for Christianity, and Peter's giving Jesus a shout out. Verse twelve: Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men given among men by which we must be saved. If you're taking notes tonight, write spiritual truth number one down: the excuse me, the exclusivity of Christianity. The exclusivity of Christianity. Christianity makes exclusive claims, like we see here, Peter saying that there is no other way by which men can receive salvation. And in our culture, and um, in our culture is much like the culture that Peter was living in, like they were like, whoa, 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 time out, buddy. I mean, listen, for you to say there's no other way, that's a little bit too rigid. We just all, let's get along. So in the Roman Empire, it was this pantheon of gods, and, and it was pluralistic, much like it is in our day. And so they were okay with you having your God over here, you having your gods over here, but they were not okay with someone saying, hey, all those gods are false. There is one true God, and his name is Jesus. And it's much like our day today. Our pastor, Phil Hopper, he preached last week, and it was so good to have him here. And he says this, that America, we're not becoming a godless nation. We're becoming a nation of many gods. That the, the, the temperature or the climate in America is much like the climate was in Rome in that day. And so you had this pluralistic society. And so when Peter stands up and he says, hey, there's no other name by which men can be saved other than Jesus Christ. it would be like, time out, time out. Listen, Peter, that we just, let's just get along. Come on. Let's just all come together. You quit being so passionate about all of that. And let's just coexist a little bit. And, and you know, Peter, basically we, you have your thing. We have our thing. All roads lead to the same conclusion. And listen, you've probably heard that argument before, but you've never heard that argument that all roads lead to the same conclusion from someone who has truly studied the sacred literature of every major world religion. Let me explain. It's really an ignorant claim to say that all religions basically believe the same thing. Because listen, every religion, and I would contend that every belief, is exclusive in its nature. In Islam, they have a book called the Quran, and here's a couple of sections out of the Quran. One out of the Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 85, says this And whoever desires other than Islam as religion, never will it be accepted from him, and he in the hereafter will be among the losers. All right? In another book in the Quran, in the Surah Al-Mahidah, chapter 5, verse 72, it says, And surely they disbelieved when they said, Christ is the Son of Mary, is indeed God. Whereas Christ had said, Children of Israel, serve Allah. Who is your Lord and my Lord? Excuse, who is your Lord and my Lord? Allah has forbidden paradise to those who associate anything with Him in His divinity, and their refuge shall be the fire. No one will be able to help such wrongdoers. So you hear the exclusivity, like the Quran is saying, "Look, if you claim Jesus is God, good luck." Right? And so they are saying, not all religions are the same. In the Hindu faith, they have a sacred book called the Bhagavad Gita, and Krishna says in chapter nine, verse three, Krishna says this. Krishna is kind of like their, like their Um, They have a lot of gods, but Krishna's kind of a big deal. Hang with me. Here's what he says. Those who are not faithful in this devotional service cannot attain me, O conqueror of enemies. Therefore, they return to the path of birth and death in this material world. Like you're going to get reincarnated as like a bug or something. Good luck, right, if you don't follow Krishna like this. In Buddhism, they have a book that's ironically called The Way, and it's some writings of Buddha, uh, one of their guys that they really like a lot. And here's what he said. This is the only path. There is none other for the purification of insight. Tread this path and you'll bewilder Mara. I don't know who she is. Walking upon this path, you will make an end of suffering. And so you see that all of these faith claims, they have exclusivity written into their sacred text. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we come to Christianity that you have something similar. So a lot of you, if you grew up in church, you heard this Bible verse Jesus says uh, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus, he claims that he is the only way to find Christ. And so in our culture, like we've kind of rebelled against religion. Like a lot of us would say that religion is the world's greatest problem. And I would, I would agree with you that anytime men use religion and, and, and use morality to demonize other people, it leads to all types of atrocities like flying planes into buildings. And so we've kind of rebelled against religion and we've, we drifted into what is really a perfect climate in our culture to secular humanism or some of us into atheism. And so we have this belief and, and maybe it helps it to explain it this way. We, we say, well, you know, all religions are kind of like blind men searching out an elephant. So you see this graphic right here. And so there's lots of different people. That, you know, you got the guy on the ears, it's a fan. You got the guys on the, the tusk. You're like, no, no, it's a spear. And they're all kind of blindly searching out this elephant and it's because of their perspective that they determine their answer, and and so we really can't all know um, exactly what it is, and so here's the problem with that statement. A lot of you will oh yeah, that makes sense, but that in itself is an exclusive statement. This is a quote from uh, an Indian missionary that wrote um, a book on pluralism, and he said this, in order to tell the story that religion is like this, and the religious leaders are just like blind men, he says, in order to tell that story, you, you have to have seen the whole elephant. The only way to claim that each blind man only saw a part of the elephant was if you were not blind and you could see the whole thing, right? That's how you would know. So listen, listen. You are claiming to be able to do the very thing you were telling everyone, everyone else they could not do. And you are making an, exclu- an exclusive claim if you say that all religions are basically the same. So to claim that all religions are right, you have to claim that you have a superior vantage point from each of the religions, and that's why you can say that each one doesn't have the full picture, that you're claiming to be able to do the very thing that you were telling everyone else that they couldn't do, which in and of itself is an exclusive claim. And so I would contend that every belief system—I may have just lost you. Come back here, okay? All right, I I would contend that every belief system at its core has exclusivity. To say that they're all right is to say that they're all wrong. So, what we've done in our culture is that we've watered down everything and we've gotten drunk on tolerance. And we're saying, let's just coexist. Like, can't we all just get along? And so, we want to be marked and coexist by things like tolerance, by things like peace, and can't we all just love? You know, like these are the virtues that we, ad- that we love in our, our culture. And where do you think we got those virtues? Not in the Quran. Where do you think we got those virtues? Not in, we got those virtues in Christianity. But what happens is that we kind of, we distort them because our hearts, what it says in Proverbs uh, 12, it says this, that our hearts... Excuse me, in, in Proverbs 14, it says there's a way that seems right in our heart, but in the end, it leads to death. Let, let me explain it this way. My wife, she's getting a lot better at cooking, all right? And it's been, a, it's been a glorious last 12 months. I mean, she's hit a next level in our marriage. We're coming up on 11 years. And, uh, and seriously, I, I think we paid, I paid my dues for about a decade. And she's getting, she's getting dominant in the kitchen now. And so it's awesome. And I'm just, I'm loving. I may blow up on the next five. Y'all just, you know, y'all just be gracious to me because she's cooking good. But she hasn't always been that way. So my wife, she will substitute ingredients for other ingredients, thinking that basically they're the same thing. So like uh, she'll make like some sort of, um, you know, holiday bread, you know, like I made some pumpkin bread and I'll take a bite on them. <laughs> What did you put in it? She's like, well, crazy. I ran out of baking soda, but I had baking powder. And basically they're white and they're powdery. And so I just, whoosh, whoosh, you know, and, and I'm like, baby, listen, you cannot substitute certain ingredients and expect the same outcome. It just doesn't work that way. And that's a picture of what a lot of us do when it comes to religion. We think, oh, Islam. We think Christianity, we think, you know, it's all basically the same. You can take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you come get to the same outcome. But listen, it doesn't work that way, that every religion claims to be the way. So which one is it? And is Jesus really the only way? And so for me, I I chose Christianity as I studied all the major world religions. I've been to the biggest mosque in Houston, Texas. I've been to the Hindu temple in Houston, Texas. I've been to the Buddhist temple in Houston. I've, I've, I've been a part of their worship services. I've read their books. I have their literature. I've been to all of them. I've studied them. The reason why I've landed in Christianity isn't just because it works for me. The reason why I've landed in Christianity is because of history, that you've got to do something with Jesus, I mean, when Jesus steps onto the scene, it resets the calendar. Every atheist gets a credit card statement. And at the top of his credit card statement and littered on his credit card statement are transactions that took places on dates that are marked based upon Jesus's arrival to this world. And then we're about to hit Christmas season. Most of you are going to take vacation. The most significant vacation that America takes revolves around Jesus's life. And you have to do something with Jesus. The best-selling book of all time, hands down, is the Bible. And last week we had our our senior pastor, Pastor Vila, came and he, if you weren't here, and he preached an amazing, a little bit heady message, but it was awesome, about how we can trust the Bible, or why we can. You should check it out on YouTube or on the podcast. And we, and I've rooted my faith into the reality that Jesus is worth it, but that Jesus existed in history. And you have to do something with the man Jesus. So I've done my research, but listen, don't take my word for it. I encourage you to examine it yourself. And then then measure it up. I, I I will gladly tell you to measure it up based upon other belief systems. And I promise you that you will find Christianity as the best way to do life. That will give you the best examples, the best reasons. You'll have history. You'll have all kinds of reasons for you to have security in your faith. And so, all religions are exclusive in nature, but I want to suggest that Christianity is the most inclusive of them all. So, let me explain. I need you to hang with me real quick. So, in Acts chapter 10, there's this story that breaks out, and there's this seemingly unimportant man named Cornelius that steps onto the scene, okay? And so, Cornelius is a really good guy, and then Peter has this kind of crazy vision where he sees um, that bacon's okay to eat. You can read it, and you can check it out, and, and it begins to kind of rattle some of his paradigm, and you can see this in Acts chapter 10, verse 17, Peter was... Very perplexed, the scripture says. He says, what could this vision mean? Maybe I ate a bad burrito or some bad food earlier anyway. And so he's trying to figure it all out. Then he gets an invitation to this man named Cornelius' house. And he goes there and he begins to share what God has done and what Jesus has done with Cornelius. And Cornelius gives his life to Jesus. Now, why this was a big deal is because Cornelius was not a Jewish man. He was a Gentile. And so what God is doing is he's saying, listen, Christianity is a movement for all people. It's not just for the Jewish people. And this would have radically shifted Peter's paradigm in the way that he viewed his, or his decision to follow Jesus. And so he says this in verse 34. It says that Peter replied, I see very clearly, I love this, that God shows no favoritism. And so listen, Christianity is a movement for black people, for white people. It's a movement for Democrats, for Republicans, it's a movement for yellow people, it's a movement for red people, it's a movement for poor people, it's a movement for rich people. Christianity is a movement for men. It's a movement for women. It's a movement for children. It's a movement for adults. It's a movement for all people. And God is trying to say that Christianity is the most inclusive of the exclusive options that you can find. And so Peter is perplexed by this. And, and I love this. He goes on in verse 42, just to echo what he's already said. He says, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. And then Cornelius has a very similar experience that Peter had at Pentecost. And so Peter couldn't even like level up on Cornelius and say, well, I had this experience that was different from yours. He's like, no, this brother is experiencing the same thing that I am. And listen. It is proving that Christianity is very inclusive. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down the inclusivity of Christianity. The inclusivity of Christianity. Christianity is the most inclusive of every belief system. In Christianity, you see clearly, again, it is a movement for all people that the Greeks and the Romans, they were all about coexisting. They had the pantheon, the pluralistic society. And then Peter steps onto the scene, and Mary steps onto the scene, and John steps onto the scene, and they start saying, Jesus is Lord of all. And that simple fact of exclusive claims started the movement that was the most inclusive movement that ever swept the planet Earth. And so Rome, Romans and Greeks, they, they didn't mix rich and poor, but Jesus did. Jews, they didn't mix races or nationalities, but Jesus did. And so Christianity is the most inclusive faith claim that there is. Paul, he would pick up on this language, and I think it's in Galatians 4, he would say that in Christ there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. That—that that, Listen, Paul, what he's trying to say is that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Amen. That we all come in here, imperfect people, with real problems, and Jesus extends to everyone that walks the planet Earth the invitation and the opportunity to life and life abundantly. And so Christianity is inclusive. Paul, he would also say in Romans ten thirteen that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter, he would say it like this later on in one of his short letters, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is willing that none would perish, but that all, somebody say all. All, all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So go home tonight. I, I challenge you to do this in Google. How do I convert to? How do I convert to Buddhism? How do I convert to Islam? How do I convert to secular humanism, if there, if there is any ways to convert that? How do I convert to and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find you need to do these things. You're going to find at the, at the center of how do you convert to, it's going to be you're going to need to strive to walk this path, to uphold these pillars, to pray for forgiveness in this direction, this amount of times a day. You're going to, you're going to need to take a pilgrimage to this place. You're going to need to do these things. It's all about striving. See, religion, it breeds insecurity because you never know if you've done enough. And what you'll find is that you do all these things, and when you die, you'll stand before whatever the God is, and and then he will determine whether or not you did enough. And so how do we know that Jesus is the only way? We look into the relationship that's being offered through the gospel. Because religion breeds insecurity, but relationships breed security. And so Jesus, here's what He says. I love this. That Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, He says, "Hey, are you weary? Are you tired of doing? Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? Are you tired of striving? Come to me. Come to me. All who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I'll put you to work. No, He says, come to me, and I'll give you rest." I want you to think of it this way. I want you to imagine I've got a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost two-year-old. All girls, sorority house, it's going down. It's awesome. Anyway, we have a good time. And I want you to imagine that my six-year-old, she loves to do cartwheels. She's really good. at She's working on cursive. And she's learning. And I want you to imagine that she did her workbook and her little cursive book. And, and she said, okay, daddy, I did my cursive. Is it good enough to be a glover? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then she gets up and she does a back bend or she does a cartwheel. And she says, Daddy, I did my cartwheel. Is it good enough to be a Glover? I'm like, what are you talking about? Baby, you are my child. I was there when you came into the world. I know more things about you than you know about you. Baby, you don't have to do anything to earn my approval. Your approval, I mean, my approval of you is given because of who you are, not what you do. And religion breeds insecurity. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Am I good enough now? Am I good enough now? But relationship, God-fearing, God-honoring, righteous relationship, it breeds security. And so my baby doesn't have to worry about whether or not she has to perform in order to be able to be accepted in my family. She is a glover because I know her and I love her. And no matter what she does, that will never change. And God loves you and all are invited into this relationship. See Christianity is a story of a God who wants a relationship with you. That we rebelled against the creator, we chased things in creation over the creator. But God did not see it fit to leave us in our mess and in our sin, but he sent a rescuer named Jesus. He came into our mess that the kingdom of God flows through relationship. And so we have this verse that we most of us know you you know people hold up a sign at, at the WWE matches, they hold up a sign at the football games, and it says John 3:16. For God so loved part of the world that he gave his only begotten, no. For God so loved the world, the cosmos. You could just erase world and put your name there and it would fit. For God so loved Devante, for God so loved Josiah, for God so loved Lydia, that he gave his only begotten son. So that whomever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life seems inclusive to me. That God wants a relationship with you. But some of you are like, man, how can I know for sure? I mean, this still just seems a little bit ethereal, a little bit abstract. How can I know that I know that God really, really wants a relationship? And I would just say, well, how do you know anything? Don't you hate it when somebody asks a question like that? You're like, oh, good point. Uh, what does that mean, right? You know, like, why is the sky blue? I don't know. <laughs> I do that with my kids. Daddy, why? Daddy, why? I'm like, why this? I don't know. Okay, good. Anyway, and so, and so I would just say, how could, if you said, how could I know for sure? And you said, and I, and I said this, well, how do you know anything? And maybe you thought about it for a minute. And I'll say, listen, the way you know something is based upon what happened in the past, either through your experience or through what we discover in history. And so the invitation would be for you to explore history, that you would look at the information that has been given and then you would make your decision based upon the information that has been presented. And then you would cross-reference and you would use your brain and you would make an educated decision. And I promise that Christianity isn't a lobotomy. It's not a brain surgery, removal of your brain, but that you hear what happens in history and you hear the testimony of people. And you find this true here in Acts chapter four, verse 19, the story picks back up and Peter is still under this trial and he says this in verse 19, it says that Peter and John answered and they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, or you judge. And I love this, verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Point number three and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the certainty of Christianity. The certainty of Christianity. A lot of people say, Chad, isn't it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? And I would just say this, that Christianity is not an arrogant claim. It's not arrogance. Listen, Christianity is just an announcement. Christianity is trying to tell you what happened. That at the core, the foundation of Christianity is a declaration of what took place in history. We are not preaching a faith that is built upon men's belief. We are preaching a faith that is built upon men's recollection of what took place in history. Peter doesn't say, well, you know, I believe that Jesus was this or that. That's uh, that's what I mean. That's what I believe. He says, bro, we can't help but speak of the things that, listen, that we read. We can't help but speak speak of the things that we learned. No, we cannot help but speak of the things in which we have seen and heard. Come and see God. Christianity is an invitation to explore history and their certainty that is rooted in history. Peter's saying, listen, I lived with the Duke for three years. I followed him. I saw him do crazy things I can't even explain, but I can't deny. And then I saw my, one of my best friends be brutally murdered on a cross. I was there. I can tell you the date. I can tell you the time. I can tell you the rooster that was crowing. It was old Sally, that rooster over there. And I remember she crowed because I was like in a bad place. You ever been in a low place? I was in a low place. And I was in a low place, and I remember that was the rooster. And I was like, ugh. And I thought it was all over. But then, man, I can't, I don't even know what happened, but Mary started coming, and she was like, Peter, Peter, the tomb is empty. I was like, Mary, you've been smoking crack, all right, and they done voted pot into existence in your anyway. And so you are, and then Mary, and so, but then I was out on my boat, and then I saw him, man. And so I did like Lieutenant Dan and I, I mean, I did like Forrest Gump when he saw Lieutenant Dan and I just jumped out of that boat. I know it ain't come out yet, but you know what I'm saying? And I started swimming, Jesus! And then Jesus, and we had this, I mean, we ate fish. That brother cooked up some Filet-O fish. It was awesome. And I saw it all with my own eyes, so much so that I can't help but speak of the things that I've seen, the things that I've heard. This is what happened in history. I'm just here to say extra, extra, read all about it. There's a God that loves you and I'm here to shout it. And Peter is Trying to tell somebody that God has come onto history, He's come onto the scene. And Peter, he didn't get a book deal for this. <laughs> Peter didn't get like a, a paparazzi in, in and in an entourage. He didn't, you know, he didn't design clothes and uh, he didn't have a podcast or he, he didn't he didn't have a um, you know this 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 cool house on the mountains and this, this, uh, this private jet he didn't have any of these things in fact his life got worse because he said these things and, and history tells us that Peter was crucified because he wouldn't deny what he saw what do you do with that and Peter wasn't the only one that had that experience in fact he didn't even think it was worthy to be crucified the way that Jesus was and so he asked that they would crucify him upside down Dying naked in public, upside down on a cross for a legend, for a secret? No, but I cannot deny the things that I've seen and I've heard. And you kill me if you want to, but I'm putting my faith and trust in the certainty that he is king. Have you been gripped by this? some of you are here and and this is man you you know christ and and you you follow jesus you claim that jesus is your lord and your savior and and i wonder have you been gripped by this so much so that you have a similar mentality to peter like peter had like this whatever it takes mentality i'm going to get the gospel out i'm gonna let people know what god has done Uh, we just got back from springfield we went down to msu any bears here tonight all right, cool, great. All right. It was fun. We got to go there, chop it up at MSU, and we were there with the organization uh, called Stumo, Student Mobilization, and they're an on-campus. Uh, ministry that, that exists to share the gospel with the students at MSU. It was such a privilege to be there with them. And uh, we took a little entourage with us. It was me and my boy Josiah. We got to go down there and invest in that ministry. It was awesome. And, and then we had a couple of other uh, men that are serving uh, in our church. Uh, one of those men, he's actually on staff with us. And we got to hear his story. And it was incredible to hear his story because um, he, he grew up and, and he chose just to not really follow any God. He would say, Hey, I was an atheist, I think, for like the first 21 years of my life. I went to MSU. And I met this girl, and when I heard this girl's story, I was like, man, how do you recover from something like that? Because the girl he met, she had tragically been assaulted and raped. And, and she disclosed this information to him, and she just kind of said, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. And, and his heart broke. Even though you're an atheist, that doesn't mean that you don't have a heart, okay? Doesn't mean that you don't care for people. So if you have that in your mind, get rid of that. And so he deeply cared for this woman and the atrocity that had taken place in her life. And uh, they, they begin to date. And what happened was that she had grown up in a, in a church home. She knew the gospel. She knew God, but she had drifted away from God. Sounds like my story, maybe some of your stories. And this terrible thing took place. And, and she looked where a lot of us look when we hit rock bottom and something awful happens to us. We look up. And we say, God, I'm going to need you to do something inside of me because there's been things that have been robbed from me. And she began to lean into her relationship with Christ. And he was watching this whole thing. He's like, okay, I can't explain. How does someone recover from this? And how does someone begin to get mending and and healing from such a catastrophe and a tragedy in her life? And, And she begins to lean into Christ. And she says, hey, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, you've got to come to church. And, and I love talking with Jacob Baggs as his name. And he just said, listen, no Bible verse was going to convince me of anything about God. I was an atheist. I, I wasn't against Christians. I just, you know, really didn't care. And he said, and, and no like sermon on I'm going to burn in hell was going to scare me into a relationship with Jesus. And so I said, well, then what did it? He said, watching Abby suffer and lean into Christ. And I, and I saw the way that Christ began to heal her. And I was like, now this is something different because I've heard about these things, but I've never considered them because I've never seen a life that has been transformed through a tragedy. And so she bore her sufferings in front of this man, and it led to this man's salvation. And I was talking to him, and I was like, so how have y'all processed this incredible journey? Like, you were an atheist, all of this happened, you came to Christ, now you're on staff at a church? And he says, as we look back at it, here's what Abby says. I rejoice in my suffering because my suffering allowed you the opportunity to receive salvation. And so Peter was gripped by this. He was certain. I wonder how are you leveraging your life for the sake of the gospel? How are you using your pain for the sake of the gospel? Last night I shared this story because Bags was with us. This Is what we call him. Bags is his last name, anyway. He was with us, and I shared this story. And I had a young adult come up to me, and he and he said this. He said, "Hey man, um, I was raped as a boy." And I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, when I was five. And I tried to I tried to mend and I tried to fix and I tried to do it all, but I, I couldn't. And then I heard about Jesus. <laughs> And I remember I, I woke up um, in an alleyway and I was drunk as a skunk and I was blacked out. And I called this guy in my fraternity, and he was a believer, and he came and picked me up. And, and, I, and I just I, he was the first person I told. And, and, and he just said, Listen, I don't know how to help you, but I know someone that does. And he's like, Who who is it? Do you have his phone number? He's like, Well, his name is his name is Jesus. And he said, In that moment, I did not want to hear that. Because I was so mad at God that he let that happen in my life. But he said, can I tell you what God began to do in my life? He said, man, I leaned into Christ. I got a relationship with Jesus and I leveraged my pain to begin to share about the love of God. Because I had certainty that Christianity was real, was right, and it gives hope to people who have been through hell. He said, I called the guy that raped me. And I said, hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you, and uh, it'd be great if we could connect. And he said the guy began to make arrangements and have people take care of his kids. He began to close out his bank accounts because he thought for sure that he was going to get arrested for the, for the thing that he had done. And so he shows up, and this guy meets him, and he's, this guy begins to share, hey, I found Jesus, and I want to let you know that I forgive you. And then he goes on to share the gospel with this guy. And he comes to find out that this guy had been raped when he was a boy. And the guy that raped him was dead, and so he couldn't forgive him, but he could lean into Christ. And the guy says, wait, wait, you don't want me to go to jail? He says, no, I want you to experience the liberty that I have found in Christ. How are you using your pain? How are you using your story to do like Peter did in Acts chapter four and say, "Look, I'm going to stand on the rooftops and shout it that I have seen and I have heard that Jesus is sufficient to mend the darkest wounds and the darkest days of my life, that there's no darkness too dark, there's no pain too great. There's no valley too low, that he can't pick you up. There's no well too deep that his arm can't reach down, that He is a God that saved. And you can have certainty because of what he has done in history. See the original version of Christianity that we find on the lips of Peter and on the lips of these people that I've mentioned. It's defensible, it's endurable, it's persecutable. It's fearless, compassionate, compelling, life-altering, earth-shattering, hope-giving, and heart-changing. It's an irresistible truth that hinges upon this historical reality that Jesus rose from the grave. That there's no denying the account of what happened in Christianity. That there was a woman that saw the empty tomb, and she comes back, and she testifies, and that's how it's recorded. That the disciples that they had lived with Jesus saw him die. They all claimed to have experienced the risen Jesus, to eaten with him, to done, do life with him after his death. The Christianity, is, it was established and it grew because of this historical account. Listen, faith is not the absence of thought. And you can have certainty in your faith. Uh, let me explain it this way. Some of y'all have, have seen this before. That, that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see, the book of Hebrews says. And so I want you to imagine that this is this is a chair, okay? I want you to imagine with me, okay? You got it? You got it? Okay, good, all right. Y'all are a smart crowd, I can tell. And I want you to imagine that you are putting your faith in this chair or I'm putting my faith in this chair to hold me up. And so, you know, I'm sitting in the chair and I know I've got good, y'all see that form? Let me do it again. All right, y'all ready? I'm, I'm a good sitter, here we go. All right, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And so listen, the, the um, integrity and the ability for me to be able to sit in this chair is not based upon my performance as a sitter, all right? I mean, you could be sitting bull and it doesn't matter, all right? And so you could sit good all day, but it doesn't matter how well or how poorly you sit. You're, the, the reason why I'm being held is because of the object that I've placed my faith in. And so listen, some of y'all just got a little bit of faith. Like you look, and maybe if this represents Christianity, are like, man, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, you're checking it out, and you're like, okay, all right, all right, I'm going to go for it. Okay. And listen, you may not be sitting very securely, but your ability to sit is not what is holding you up. And so some of you, you barely come to Christianity and you you just kind of barely take a seat and you're like, okay, but God is sufficient to hold you up. Others of you are like, oh man, this is what I've been waiting on, you know, and you just go for it and you place a lot of faith in this. But listen, little faith, a lot of faith. It is the substance that holds, it's the substance of your faith that holds you up, it's, it's the object, it's the substance, it's, it's that you have certainty that this thing, this thing that you're putting your faith in, not your ability to have good faith, and that's what saves you. And without history, we are left with uncertainty, but because we have history, we can have certainty in what we do. So the vast majority of all religions, they teach us striving until you die. But Christianity says, hey, look, you come and rest in the reality that God has saved you. In Christianity, you can have eternal security. First John, a guy named John who lived with Jesus, he was one of his boys. He wrote this, and he said that whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And I've written this to you, that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, you can serve that word, so you may know that you have eternal life. That word know means so that you can experience it, so that you can take it to the bank. And some of you are like, well, Chad, I grew up in a faith tradition that said that, that, you know, the chair may fold on you. Like sometimes you may get kicked out of the chair. You can lose your salvation. So can you lose your salvation? I would just say, hey, did you do anything to earn it? The Ephesians 2.8 makes it real clear that it's by grace that you've been saved, not of your own works, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And so if you did nothing to earn salvation, what makes you think that you can lose salvation? Now, some of y'all are like, oh, Chad, you're just giving me like a sin for free card. This is great. I got my insurance, you know. And let me just say this. Eternal security is not a license to sin. Rather, it is the security of the knowing that God's love is guaranteed for those who trust in Christ. That knowing and understanding God's tremendous gift of salvation accomplishes the opposite of giving a license to sin. How could anyone, knowing the price of Jesus that he paid for us, go on living a life of sin? How could anyone who understands God's unconditional and guaranteed love for those who believe, take that love, throw it back in God's face? Such a person is demonstrating not the eternal security that God has granted him, but a license to sin, but rather that they are saying that they have truly never experienced salvation in Christ. Because the scripture makes it real clear that no one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That the only thing that should cause you to question your certainty if you're a Christian is your response to sin. How do you respond to your sin? You have that sin that you just like to cuddle with? What's that sin that you have in your life if you're a believer in Christ that you tolerate? You're like, I don't want to say goodbye to that yet. Counseled a young adult several months ago and he came up and he said, hey, I've got this private folder on my phone and it's these old films and photos that I have from past relationships and I don't want to delete it. And I know he's a follower of Christ. I said, why not? He said, I don't know. I'm just kind of keeping it there. I said, well, pull out your phone right now. Okay. (laughs) I said, well, just go to the app and let's delete it right now. Okay, just right now, just like that. Yeah, that's all you gotta do, just delete it. Why would you keep something around that's gonna give you a gateway back into the sin that got you in such the mess that you were in? And how you respond to your sin should be the indicator whether or not you have certainty in your Christianity. Listen, God has saved you to change you and if you are not experiencing a changing faith that is changing you and making you more like Jesus, not that you're perfect, but that you are progressing, then maybe you never experienced a saving faith. And so we have certainty in our Christianity. Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of things that Christianity um, is. is alike in a lot of other religions like there's a lot of commonalities when you look at christianity you see a lot of common things but but what we need to define and what we need to explore are the things in christianity that are distinct what are the things about christianity that make it so compelling let me just give you one no other faith system has a god that came into our human experience to die for his rebellious people That God loved you so much so that he sent his only begotten son. That in all other religions, if you want to be saved, you have to perform in order to get the score. But in Christianity, it's the only faith that says you get the score before you ever perform anything. That the verdict is given before there's ever a trial. Because of what Christ has done. Jesus, listen, he's not a teacher He's not some guru that you should follow that's going to make your life a little bit better. Jesus clearly is a Savior, and He lives the life that you and I could never live, and He dies the death that we deserve so that non-loving, non-conforming people can go to heaven. And there's moments in our life that are critical to our life. And right now, in this moment, it may be one of those for you. I want you to imagine, again, that This is like a, a, if you're in the chair, you're in a right relationship with Jesus. And I love asking this question with people when I meet them and we begin to talk about Christ. Uh, I love just saying, hey, on a scale of one to 10, it's called a Kennedy question. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're in the chair, you're in a right relationship with Jesus. One being you're like way back here, right? Like you don't even care about the chair. Where would you say you're at? real quick just kind of humor me go ahead and write down that number if, if you know 10 you're in a right relationship with Jesus one you don't even care about Jesus go ahead and write down one, one to 10 where do you think you're at write your number down for me real quick I can see you so I can see if you're writing and texting okay we're almost done I promise 10 being in the chair you're in a right relationship with Jesus one you don't care where are you at in, in the in between so I love asking this question because it helps the person that I'm asking. Like, I don't judge them. I don't tell them where they're at. And, and I just ask them, hey, where do you think you're at? And maybe some of you wrote down, like, I'm a four. Okay? Some of you, maybe you wrote down, I'm a two. I had one guy, um, I, I put it on a piece of paper, one to ten. He said, I'm somewhere down here, brother. <laughs> you know, even, I'm not even at a one yet, you know. I was like, that's okay. We can work with that. Appreciate your honesty. Um, anyway, and so, we, and, and so where are you at? Some of you maybe wrote a seven because that just sounded good, you know. That's a godly number. Where are you at tonight? Moments in our life that can affect our life, and this can be a moment. So I ask you to write down your number. Ten, you're in a chair in a right relationship with Jesus. One, you don't care. Where are you at? So here's, I'm going to ask you to do something else. We don't normally do this, but well, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're almost done, I promise. So I want you just to raise your hand if you were like a one to a five. Go ahead and raise your hand. One to a five. Anybody? One to five. Ready? Okay, I see. Cool. All right, you put your hand down. How about my six, seven, and eights? Six, seven, and eights. Where are you at? Okay, okay, good. That's the majority there. What about nines? Anybody got a nine? Nine? Okay. Now I got nine. I got six, seven, I got nine. Like I'm doing an auction, right? Any tens in the room tonight? Tens? Okay, I see. Cool, cool. All right, here's the follow-up question. In Christianity, you're either in or you're out. Let me explain. It's a gift. You either receive a gift or you reject it. And so if you're anything less than a 10, then what I would say is that maybe you're not in a right relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe. And so the follow-up question is this. If you are anything less than a 10, then maybe you have a a little uncertainty about where you stand with God. And I would just entreat you tonight to make that certain. And so one more thing before we stand up and sing, before I pray and we stand up and sing, if you want to move from whatever number you were, if you're other than a 10, to a 10, why don't you just raise your hand at me real quick. Awesome. I see you can put your hand down. A large group of people, hands just went up. And so here's the invitation tonight. Here in a second we're going to sing, and I'm just going to encourage you, if you want to sing with us, you can sing, you want to reflect upon that, you can reflect. But if you raised your hand and said, hey, I want to move from uncertainty, from a six, a seven, an eight, a three, whatever you're at, to a ten, you can do that tonight. Salvation is not complicated. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I invite you to take an act, to take a step of courage and to grab a response team member by the hand or come find me after the service. We'd love to have a conversation with you. But right now I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and then I'll remind you of those instructions as we conclude tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you that you are a God who saves. God, I thank you that you prick the hearts of men. I thank you that, that you don't just you know, make it a, you know, a pluralistic and all things are right, but God, you make, a, you make a stand. You say, I am the way, but you offer that way to everyone. And so thank you so much that you are inclusive, that we don't have to clean ourselves up in order to have a right relationship with you, but we can simply come as we are and trust that you'll change us from the inside out. God, I pray that you would move and that you would help people to be faithful, to follow your prompting in their life, and that there would be no questions tonight. God, that you would help people have certainty that they are, in fact, in a right relationship with you, that you would help... The person that may have just a shred of faith, a shroud of faith, that they would sit in the chair, that they would place their trust in you, and that you would save them and begin to work in their life for for your glory and for their good. In Christ's name I pray.